This is Dear Analyst, episode number 27, and I'm recording from home because everyone is basically working from home now given the coronavirus. And I'll actually be going over um, some coronavirus COVID-19 data later on in this episode. Um, but today's episode is going to be focused on a an Excel trick that I learned from watching a YouTube video of all things. And the YouTube video is from... Uh, someone made someone named Good Design Now, uh, a relatively recent video, and it's about this cell division trick that I've never seen before. And I'll describe to you the situation, and uh, you can tell me, or you can listen rather, on the solution that solves this problem. So you have a simple table. Let's say you have region along the side. Let's say you have, in column A, you have... Starting in row two, east, west, north, south in the rows. And then starting in column B, going along the columns, you have, let's say, time periods, January, February, March. And you'll have values in the data range. So the big question is, most of the times with this kind of data set, you have cell A1, which is empty. And the reason is because you can't put, you want to be able to say that, you know, the rows below row one are the regions and then the columns to the right of column a are the months and you want to put a label in there but you can't because you only have one cell and if you see the screenshot in this episode um you'll see what i'm talking about in terms of how there's only one cell and you can't and if you want to put a label on something you really can't in that table itself what you can do is create a chart and then obviously label the y and x axes but in the spreadsheet itself, you're kind of stuck with like leaving, most people just leave the cell blank or you pick one or the other, but then it's like, you know, the one of the axes is not correctly labeled. And so in the video from Good Design Now, this person describes a way you can put two values inside the cell and it will look, it basically have like a, it basically splits the cell in half, but along the diagonal, and so you can have, let's say, region as the first label for the rows, and then you have period as the label for the columns. And so you effectively are taking one cell and dividing it in half so that you can have two different labels for both axes. And it's a really cool trick that I've never heard about or seen before, but I may start doing it, or using it rather, in my basic Excel tables where I'm just trying to like show two different variables, one along the y-axis and one along the x-axis. And so the trick here to do this is pretty interesting. I've never actually used some of these features in the cell format menu, but if you're in cell A1, and again, I'm gonna go with this simple data set of you have regions, east, west, north, south along the rows, and then you have January, February, March along the columns to the right. And so you wanna label region in cell A1 and also label it time period for columns B, C, and D, which contain January, February, March months. So the first thing you do is you go in cell, go inside cell AOL, A1, and then you can right click or just press control one or command one to go to format cells. And the first thing you wanna to go to is go to alignment and then change the horizontal alignment to the last option, and I'm on the Mac Excel version, 2011, I believe. So it could be different depending on your version of Excel. But 
the last option, at least for me on the Mac, is distributed indent. And I have no idea what this um, this option is. Actually, let's, let's take a look and just Google this really quick. Excel distributed indent. Let's see what Google gives us. For extra space between cell text and the left or right cell border, click left and right indent. Click distributed indent to have equal spacing between both the text and the cell borders on both sides. So it's, I think it's really just meant for like a very niche or specific use case, but it looks like you just are able to put text that can be aligned to the left and right border, which is kind of exactly what we want. So let's just kind of forget about what distributed indent actually means, but you're basically right-clicking, go to format cells. In alignment, you're changing the horizontal alignment to distributed indent, and then hit OK. Now, inside the cell, you can start typing in month, which is the label for the x-axis because you have months in columns B, C, and D. I'm going to start typing in month, and the first thing you'll notice is that your text is center-aligned. And I'm not sure why, but that's just the way that distributed indent works. Now, as you're typing in month, you can use you want to put your cursor uh, you want to put your cursor to the very beginning of the word month and then press spacebar. So you have a space, an empty space before the word month. Now, after the word month, you put another empty space. So you don't really see this, obviously, in the cell because you're just putting empty, you're putting in uh, trailing and leading spaces before the word month, but that's important for this trick to work. Then in on the Mac, you can press Alt. Enter. I think on the PC, the same thing. You can press Alt Enter, and that just gives you a new line inside the cell. So now you're below the word month, and now you can type the word region because we have um, east, west, east, west, north, south below in the y axis. So I'm going to write the word region. <clears throat> and now the trick here is again, I don't know why this works. I'm just going off of what I saw in the video, but you press space, you type in region. So you have the word month with the leading and trailing spaces in the first line. Then you have the word region right now in the second line. Then you press space period and then enter. And what you're going to notice is that in the cell, you have two lines of text. The first line says month, which is right aligned. And then you have the word region, which is left aligned. And then you have this period, which is at the very right of the cell on the right border of the cell in cell A1. Uh, and that has to be there because this is the way distributed indent works. And if you don't put it there, then region, the word region will stay center aligned. So now you have, if I'm trying to describe the, the cell here, you have month in the top right of the cell and then region in the top le bottom left. And then you have this random period in the bottom right. And so essentially you have this label now for the y-axis for region, and then you have the month for the, then you have a label for the x-axis, which is the month. Now the trick, another trick, just more for kind of visual purposes, is you can right-click the cell again, go to Format Cells, and then if you go to Border, which is the fourth option for me, uh, in, that, in the bottom right border uh, option, like text area, you'll see these different slashes and borders you can put inside the cell. If you click on the bottom right selection, which is like this slash, it goes from top left to bottom right. If you click on that, 
and then hit OK, you'll see a slash that goes through the, the cell in the cell diagonal, going from the top left of the cell to the bottom right of the cell. And what that slash does, it just gives you like a nice border in the middle of the cell diagonally that separates the month from the region. And so now you can kind of demarcate the different labels for the columns and the rows. Now the video goes on to describe how you can actually color the, you can actually draw a triangle and then put that triangle in, in cell A1 and color that triangle for region and then create another triangle and flip it and color it for the word month. And then you can have just like this nice little more color formatted cell. And it's interesting, but I'm not gonna go into it because I think this is now getting into more like how you want colors to just be displayed inside your cell. Uh, but the neat thing here is that you basically are able to put both labels for the Y and X axis inside one cell, um, which is super interesting. I've never heard this before. And I'm really glad that I came across this because it's a good way, a nice little hack to get labels for both your X and Y axis. And I, if people have ideas on why you would use distributed indent as the horizontal alignment, um, let me know. But I've never used that option in the horizontal alignment selection list. I mean, the only things I traditionally use are general, which is the default cell alignment, and then center across selection for when you want to kind of merge cells, but you don't want to physically merge them. You just want to center the data across cells that you select. And sometimes I'll use center for labels and stuff for the horizontal alignment, but yeah, distribute and indent, definitely skip that option all the time. And at least I know now that there's a way to use that in Excel for something useful. And I'm not sure if this option is in sheets. I'm just gonna take a quick look. Let's see if we have any kind of distributed indent horizontal alignment in Google Sheets. Let's take a look, right click. Uh, in Google Sheets right now. Oh, there's no format cells in the right-click menu. Maybe if I go to format, hmm, nope, doesn't look like there is an option. Conditional formatting, clarifying, mean, nope. Doesn't look like there's an option for any kind of horizontal alignment inside Google Sheets. Might dig around a little deeper, but this might just be an Excel-specific thing. So there you have it. If you ever have wanted to put two labels in one cell to demarcate or to show what the labels are for the X and Y axis in a table, this is how you would do that with the distributed indent um, horizontal alignment option. Okay, so that was a kind of a simple Excel trick, um, not getting too much into formulas or uh, other kind of features today, keeping it a little really light because I wanted to talk a little more seriously about the uh, COVID-19 outbreak, which has really drastically changed many Americans' lives, including uh, myself. I basically moved all my equipment from my office to my home and working off of my dining room table right now. And I'll include a link to this dashboard in the post, but um, about a month and a half ago, I started just tracking the virus. And I still remember when there was only like a hundred or so cases just in Wuhan, China alone. And I was primarily looking at this dashboard created by 
the uh, Center for Systems Science and Engineering at Johns Hopkins University. They created this really awesome visualization to show the number of infected cases, the number of deaths, the uh, and also breaking breaking this down by country and by region. And fortunately, they kind of released their data and they updated pre they updated basically every single day. And so just for personal reasons, I wanted to track the data to see how the number of cases are growing and which cities and states and countries are um, seeing outbreaks. And the, I mean, the, the day, today's date, I'm recording this on a Sunday, it's March 15th. Um, the U.S. is basically on a verge of an outbreak, which is a very scary and very serious situation. And seeing the numbers rise has been just very surreal. Um, anywho, back to the dashboard. I, I created this, I started aggregating the data. Uh, it's in a Codadoc, a published Codadoc. And some people on my team weren't sure, uh, were kind of against publishing this data set more broadly and promoting it, but I just kind of did it for my personal uh, knowledge. And I've uh, been working with a few people to add more charts to the dashboard. and. What's interesting is the based on just simple data from like confirmed cases and deaths and recovery, we were able to merge that data set with um, a country's population, uh, the country's density to get an idea of how many people are really getting infected on a per capita basis. And if you look at the dashboard, you're gonna, you can see some interesting trends for confirmed cases. Uh, days since first uh, sign of a confirmed case. And the reason why I really like the chart for days since first case is because it normalizes all countries to day one, or kind of like patient zero, if you will. And you can kind of quickly see how some countries are just outgrowing other ones. Um, for instance, we all know that Italy is kind of becoming the major hotbed outside of, outside of China. Um, South Korea is kind of flatlined a little bit. Spain has increased. Uh, a lot of European countries have basically taken off. And then we know that Iran also was a huge um, uh, country in terms of cases. And uh, yeah, this, this dashboard just breaks that down into detail by country. Um, we also have a chart here that shows the day since outbreak. And outbreak is defined by countries who have crossed the 100 confirmed cases threshold because that's when you can kind of say that the dashboard has, or sorry, the cases has reached like a certain threshold. And that's when cases will really start skyrocketing. And you can still see that Italy is really kind of taking off. And the US is, it's still kind of considered early, but we're only, people are saying 10 days behind uh, Italy and France. And Another interesting chart further down below is the doubling rate in days by country. And this is actually an interesting chart because we did a little bit of formula uh, guesswork here, not guesswork, but just a little bit of assumption uh, work here, which is how we define the growth rate. And we found that using a growth rate, and this is just the current confirmed cases divided by the previous period. And the previous period could be the previous day, it could be two days before, three days before. Originally we had just the growth rate from the previous day and we saw that the growth rate could be very noisy. And so we used two days as a benchmark but we're giving people the ability to play with that slider to 
see how the growth rate has to give you different ways to calculate the growth rate. <clears throat> and then you can use the, uh, take that growth rate, put that as a denominator, and then the numerator, you can put the, uh, the natural log of two to figure out the number of days it takes for the cases to double. And in case of the U.S., um, we're, uh, I mean, we're as in like people in the U.S., it's uh, taking 2.34 days to basically double the number of cases, which is extremely high. Uh, Switzerland is, I guess, doing a little quote-unquote worse than us at 1.78 days. Um, interestingly, South Korea, Denmark, and mainland China, number of cases have really uh, kind of flatlined, and the rate of the rate of increase has decreased. If that makes sense, the first derivative, the first derivative, is slowing down, um, and that's shown by the the doubling rate. And uh, then you can see some more interesting cases with um, cases per million, where we threw in population data. You can see how much of the population is being affected based on a per million basis. Uh, some more data that we put in here is testing data from Wikipedia and from another website called Worldometer. And this is definitely much part of the challenge of creating this dashboard is be, is the fact is the fact that there aren't many reliable data sources for triangulating the virus data. And testing data is really hard to come by. And so I'm kind of relying on Wikipedia. That whoever is maintaining this this page of Wikipedia that they're updating their sources and updating the, num updating the numbers correctly. And you can see here that the U.S. is just doing very poor and far behind in terms of the number of tests per million people. We're only doing 60 tests per million, whereas South Korea is doing 5,231 tests per million. And aggregately, South Korea is on 268,000 tests, and the U.S. Although we, you know, we're still, I guess, behind the time that um, cases took off in South Korea, we've only done 19,000 tests. I think that number is actually over 20,000 now, um, but it doesn't include commercial lab testing based on the data we have from Wikipedia. Um, and then we just break this down by country later on in the first section of the dashboard. And you can, as you scroll down, you'll see a lot of detailed data for country. What I'm very passionate about right now is actually looking at um, confirmed cases by U.S. states and by individual counties in the state. And this is just by going into the various State Department of Health websites and looking at the county data and just copy and pasting and putting into this doc. Um, luckily, I found a dashboard called COVID. I think it is called... Um, or is it? I think it's just called covidtracking.com, I believe. COVID tracking, yeah, covidtracking.com. And a bunch of people have come together and are actively checking all these different state websites so that you can see, so you can basically get all the latest testing data, which is, again, very noisy and dirty data because a lot of the a lot of uh, Department of Public Health for these states are not releasing the data on a regular basis, or they're not releasing it in a, a good format that's good for seeing trends and other things like that. Um, but nonetheless, I'm trying my best to keep this dashboard updated so that people who are interested in following the number of cases and other metrics related to 
COVID-19 have one place uh, to go. And again, I'm trying to really focus on the state level data because I know that at least here in New York, the number of cases has uh, taken off um, and we're getting close to a thousand cases. Um, and we're the number one state in terms of number of cases as well. So not a really great time to to be looking at to be talking about this, obviously, but I think it's important that we show the numbers and uh, make sure people know to continually wash your hands and socially distance yourself from your peers. And hopefully by now you're working from home if your job allows you to. So that that's kind of just a quick plug, if you will, for this dashboard that I'm working on actively. And uh, the link is in the show notes. So on to some more hopefully positive and uplifting and non-COVID-19 news is other podcasts I listened to recently that I want to talk about. And one podcast episode that I haven't listened to in a while is The Pylon Show, which is all about one of my favorite computer games, StarCraft and StarCraft 2. And the episode is number 79, and I actually can't emphasize how excited I was to hear, to, to listen to this episode. I, I usually listen to my podcast on like 1.5, 2x, sometimes 2.5x, and very few episodes and shows I'll listen to at regular speed, and this is one of those shows where I wanted to listen at regular speed because I wanted to hear the entire conversation, and it was a two-hour conversation with the CEO of Shopify, Toby Lutke, I'm probably saying his last name wrong, and the host of the pilot show, TLO and Artosis. And I think I even put this like on my Google calendar as like, this is when the, this episode 79 will drop. You really want to listen to it. And so here I am talking about this episode after I listened to it a few weeks ago. And the if you don't know, StarCraft II is this game that the precursor was StarCraft that came out in 1998. So it's been around for 20 plus years. I've been playing it since I was in middle school. Obviously don't play it as much as I do when I was younger, but um, I still play it every Friday, usually with my coworkers as a way to kind of unwind and just play this game that we all love. And I recently actually wrote a blog post about how StarCraft can teach you about startups in life. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. And the reason why I wrote that post was actually because Toby, the CEO of Shopify, has been very vocal about his StarCraft 2 interests. And something happened last October, which really caught a lot of people's eyes, was the there was a former StarCraft 2 champion. His name is... Um, Ryu, I believe, or Ryu, his uh, handles select, a very popular StarCraft II player. He uh, used to play Dota 2, but then moved back to StarCraft 2 and became like this amazing expert. He's uh, a Terran player from South Korea, and I think he won two WCG championships, which is really awesome. Uh, but anyways, in 2019, in October 2019, he published this tweet saying, I'm looking for a software engineering intern for summer 2020. I am a senior majoring in computer science in, in the University of Washington, Seattle. If you're referring to the job, please message me. And the best part was that Toby 
respond to the tweet saying, hey, Select, happy to hire you in the Shopify intern program. Your StarCraft accomplishments are enough of a CV. Place is yours if you want it. Uh, and the key thing is here is that Toby was like, dude, the fact that you have won two WCG tournaments makes you more than qualified to work here at this uh, huge publicly traded company, Shopify. And the episode goes into so much. It's definitely worth listening the whole two hours. Um, you can, of course, listen to it on faster speed if you like, but I'll pull out two nuggets that I really found interesting. Uh, so let's see here for our around minute uh, 16. They started talking about, they started having a discussion about why Toby was able to, uh, why why he basically wrote that tweet and told Select that he could have a internship at Shopify if he wanted it, just purely based on his StarCraft II experience. And Toby started getting into how when they interview people at Shopify, one thing they like to ask about is what your life story and how the choices that you made during your path, whether it's professional or personal, um, how you were actively involved in making those decisions and whether or not you took the took ownership over your decisions. Did you do the right thing or did you just do the easy thing? Um, I'm trying to think of like a good example of this. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, if you, maybe like you're about to, uh, you were studying the whole semester for a huge exam and you know the right thing to do at the last day was to just kind of review your notes but instead the easy thing to do was just like take a break and I don't know just go hang out with your friends or something like that I don't know making this up but basically like did you take ownership over your path and make choices that were right versus easy and the the thing I really enjoyed about this part of the conversation was the kind of characteristic the traits that toby saw and select would automatically qualify him for an internship and just by being a world expert in starcraft 2 toby basically said that this person i already know is incredibly incredibly self-motivated and despite all the odds despite probably what his parents wanted him to do talking about select maybe his parents wanted him to go to class, go to college, get a good education so you can get a good job and internship afterwards. Um, he went against all the uh, you know, herd mentality of doing what everyone else does and just got really good at a game and was, and I think the way Toby phrased it, was fueled by a passion of self-improvement. And I think this can apply to really any skill. Like It doesn't have to be StarCraft. It could be basketball. It could be reading it could be uh video editing i don't know but the fact that you went all in and your achievements are you know you won these multiple championships you are one of the top players in the world and the fact that toby could see that type of self-motivation in select as a high potential person that would do well in a business environment is super huge and perhaps um takes maybe one StarCraft player to know another StarCraft player. And that, um, I thought that was a really interesting conversation about how um, like you're just doing something purely out of passion and you don't care about 
maybe eating or what what other people say. You just do it because you just want to improve yourself to be the best. And I think that's really common, especially with athletes who, against the good advice and good nature of their friends and family, they just go after whatever sport they want to go after and um, just pursue it as much as they can until they maybe need to put money on the table to to eat and to support themselves. So uh, I'm sure Select probably faced a similar situation where he realized he had to get a job and internship and maybe couldn't make um, a living out of playing StarCraft all the time and playing at tournaments. So really awesome uh reflection on why Toby decided to offer that position to select. The other part, again, this is a huge episode, two hours long, so I don't want, uh, that's why there's so many nuggets I want to pull out, but there's only, the, the second episode, second, the second nugget I want to talk about was, I think this was Artosis on the show? I forget who's who, but like, they're basically talking about how when you are playing starcraft and you're playing one-on-one with someone after 10 15 games you can quickly see how you stack against that person you either suck you're really good you know it's really clear because each game is relatively short and after 10 games you can quickly see what your deficiencies are and good starcraft players i mean i've i get this all the time from my my colleagues who are better than me at playing starcraft they'll basically say you know you I saw you do this at minute five, but everyone else that we know, or everyone else that plays StarCraft does it, like you did X, everyone else we know does Y. So you should probably behoove yourself to learn how to go and do the Y thing that everyone else does. And most people, majority of people, Toby says, don't have this, what he calls a growth mindset which is actually a term, I think, from an author that he mentioned in the episode from Carol Dweck, who wrote this book called Mindset. And most people will take that as as criticism or that they're being, someone is passing judgment on them. And they instead, instead of growing, they just see it as like, oh, this person is kind of attacking me and I'm just going to ignore them or not listen to them and just kind of do my own thing, keep on doing what I'm doing because... I don't want to be able to change what I'm doing. And you essentially don't want to grow or learn. I think I've talked about this in various episodes in the past, and there's so many common themes here I see with just wanting to learn. And even with the first uh, nugget I talked about, just like being fueled to want to improve yourself and never settling for uh, your current like skill level. And so Toby talks about the growth mindset as someone who takes feedback and realizes that the person giving the feedback is kind of giving a teaching moment. And it's your decision to take that teaching moment as criticism and judgment, or as I have information that I should use to change my beliefs about how I'm doing something. And in this case, it's like uh, using hotkeys on your buildings and units instead of clicking around because that just makes you more efficient and increases your actions per minute in the game. Um, so having that growth mindset is super key. And um, now I kind of want to read the book to learn more about what Carol Dweck said in the book called Mindset. Uh, 
so yeah, that was the second second nugget, and um, I'm obviously not doing the conversation justice. Just go listen to the whole two hours, um, especially especially if you are a StarCraft and StarCraft Two fan, um, because just you know having Toby on the show like was I, I think one of the biggest guests they've had on the show, and um, it's really awesome to hear him just come out and talk about um, how StarCraft has helped him and helped his company, and all the different similarities you can see between. Uh, Starcraft and life. Okay, so that is the end of this episode. Um, just want to hope, want to wish everyone a good week and to just constantly wash your hands, stay safe, and just hang out at home as much as you can. Um, luckily, we have the internet to keep us busy, and hopefully, you can find new hobbies, find new things to be productive, and make this time as enjoyable as possible and just keep on washing your hands. Mm-hmm.